Daniel. So I've hit record. I'm pressing record now. Listen, I'm glad I was on time today. Hello and welcome to the CS Duplicy show. A big shout out to our partners at Betway. Check out betway.co.za for more information as we get to the Betway SA20, which gets underway in uh, just a couple of weeks' time. Looming large. Can't wait for that. Get your tickets now. Now, I'm excited to introduce my next guest. I know Ray's such a huge fan. Whenever I say, oh, I'm chatting to my guest, Ray gets very excited, my executive producer, Matthew Booth. Um, I think... He's the reason, or you the reason, he supported Mamelodi Sundowns and back in the day. So, yeah, we've got a fanboy right here, Matthew. Yeah, any, any, any reasonable person would support Mamelodi uh, Sundowns. So, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, Matthew, how's things going at the moment? I believe recently you played in the Legends game, is it in Botswana, where you, you had like 20,000 people? Yeah. I mean, tell me a bit more. Yeah, so 17th of June this year, um, uh, Booth Africa. Um, helped organize a, a clash of legends. It was the inaugural um, um, event, so it was quite an experience for me trying to raise uh, capital and <laughs> get the, the local lads organized. Uh, so we had nice um, high-profile players involved, uh, Sipiri Shabalala, Morgan Gold, uh, Brian Beloy, Steve Lecolaire, et cetera, et cetera. So really great event, and it just showed that um, the legends are still in demand because we had 20,000 spectators uh, pitch up at the uh, Hebron National Stadium. And it was also an awesome event. The day before, we also had a very strong CSI impact uh, on the community. So it wasn't just a nice photo shoot yeah. and a game. And um, yeah, immediately after the event, uh, we got Botswana fans asking when the return leg is. So <laughs> we uh, trying to trying to get the return leg um, sorted as well, which is um, hopefully will come about. What's the aggregate score at the moment? Uh, it was 1-1. One, one. Uh, we won on penalties, but uh, they had some youngsters in their team. So we put in a very strongly worded uh, email uh, <laughs> <laughs> complaint. Oh, these guys legends. <laughs> <I mean. laughs> but still, well, good to have a run out, I suppose, kick about. Yeah. And uh, how's the body feeling after that? I know it was a few months ago, but how did it feel to be back on the park? Yeah, so some of uh, we we... I've got a group of guys who we play every Wednesday, Wednesday evening in a proper formal, formal league. Um, so the guys that play in that league didn't really struggle. But there were some guys, some lads who, who hadn't <laughs> played in a while, uh, who had gone, who had expanded sideways since <laughs> I'd last seen them. And um, I think next time we've got to make sure that they prepare for an event like this. Um, but you're still in great shape, man. You're obviously active. I mean, you're still lean and mean. So uh, I'm sure it was a breeze to get through the 90 minutes. Yeah, uh, to me, to talk guy with uh, a Balmach it doesn't doesn't look very good. Um, so that's what's motivated me to try and stay stay fit. And I've, I'm still very competitive, you know. Um, so I enjoy I enjoy the competitive nature of of any uh, ball sport, really. Sure. We'll get onto the golf in a minute. But uh, <laughs> do you miss football or you know the football life? I know you're involved still uh, in various aspects, but that sort of you know. Day-to-day -day training, getting ready for the game, traveling, you know, putting your body on the line. Do you miss that? Ex-players suffer from a number of uh, issues um, come retirement. Financial, uh, psychological, um, uh, physical. Mm. And so, yes, um, I certainly did. And, you know, we, we grow up in an amateur environment and then we get thrown into the professional arena where you have a contract mm. and that contract motivates you to, to get up in the morning and go to training and 
you're surrounded by like-minded uh, colleagues. And then after 15, 20 years, if you're lucky, oh, yeah, if you're lucky, you know, that all of a sudden that, that gets taken away from you. Yeah. So it's quite difficult to, to come to terms with that. Journalists are not phony. You're not on television anymore. Your body changes. Your uh, spouse or partner starts to look at you differently. <laughs> <laughs> you're not this uh, muscle-bound sort of adonis anymore, you know, that uh, everybody aspires to be. Um, so, yeah, uh, psychologically, it can be a big blow mm. um, if you are uh, vain in any way. And, and athletes do get caught up in that. Yeah. They get caught up in the adrenaline rush of, of exactly that, the media attention, female attention. Um, you know, there's a number of things that we have to cope with uh, post-retirement. So, yes, I was not any different. Um, although what did help me was when I left the game, I did have a kind of a profile. So I kind of transitioned nicely into uh, super sport and other things and uh, being involved in um, my MPO as well uh, kept me very busy. Yeah. Mm. I think you've always, yeah, you're within sort of touching distance of football in some shape or form. But it's very interesting because I imagine as someone who's never played the game at a, at a professional level, that when you're in it, you almost take it for granted. And, and I suppose that's a danger because there's fixture congestion, there's big salaries, there's the hype. It, it's just that you, you're in this mm. sort of big machine that keeps rolling on and that spits you out at the end of the day. Yes, exactly. And uh, there's only so many coaching positions that you can take up. Um, we tend to focus on getting our licenses and wanting to be coaches. There are other avenues that we can take, but we've got to prepare for that because ultimately, like you said, the clubs and uh, the, the federations, once you're done, you're done. Mm. You know, they, they'll spit you out. Um, you're only an asset when you're a player. Once you're done, generally, I mean, there are sundowns, I think, uh, look after their, their legends fairly well. But again, you know, at youth, in their youth development system, there's only, there's only so many positions that they can fill. There's only so many scouts that they can have. And... Sundowns are able to do that because Patrice is willing to do that and he's, he's, he's got the money to do it. Yeah. Whereas other clubs, even in Europe, you look at the clubs that look after their legends and have a legends program, yeah. they're few and far between. Yeah, because our rugby legends do quite well. They play quite a bit. I see quite a bit of uh, activity for them. Um, as someone who's, a, I suppose, a driving force of that legend stage, is there you know, definitely more that can be done, in the, especially in the football space? That was one of the first important meetings that we had was with Gavin Regis and uh, Stefan Tablanche at uh, Rugby Legends. Mm -hmm. So they were very, you know, people who, who are very secure in their knowledge uh, and know what they're talking about. And they generally are people that are willing to share. Mm. And they were, they are exactly that. So um, I remember having a meeting with them, uh, Mark Fish, um, uh, Stanton Fredericks, a group of legends, just picking their brains about how they run their, their uh, business. And so we ha we've done exactly the same. We've launched the South African Football Legends, uh, myself, Brian Beloy, and Stanton Fredericks. Uh, it's a very loose organization at the moment, um, and we're getting help um, from some media guys who are doing, it, doing our stuff pro bono, mm -hmm. getting our, our, uh, allowing us to, to garner some sort of footprint. Um, which has been great from them. But there's so many different platforms that we can offer ex-players, yeah. and we want to try and make that uh, a soft landing for them. But the message has got to be that you've got to prepare for the afterlife. Um, guys, while, while they are still playing, they've got to save, 
but more importantly, they've got to start to surround themselves with uh, people who they want to aspire to. They, they cannot surround themselves with what I term lessers. And it's not a mean thing to say mm. because ultimately you still want to keep in touch with your mates, you know, uh, from back in the day. But they're generally not going to help you once they re- once you retire. In yeah. fact, they're going to help you eat into your savings. Yeah. You know? So you've got to network while you're still playing. After the game, take some time to go up to the suite and, and mingle with um, the captains of industry that come to FNB and watch the derby, you know. Uh, and that's something that cr- uh, rugby and cricket have have always had that yeah. old boys network to fall back on, uh, whereas uh, so certainly uh, the footballers don't have that. <laughs> uh, it's really sad if you think how important football is in South Africa and the role it plays. You know, we look at Sia and what they've done, the Springboks, and yes, it's an incredible, mm-hmm. and, and Temba and, and the Proteas have, have got so close. But, you know, football is it's, uh, such a huge sport in South Africa. Thought thought there would be a little bit more of a support network. Yeah, um, I mean, if you just take... Um, globally where footballers generally come from it's your lower LSMs mm. and it's in South Africa there's no different so we don't come from private schools uh, even your ex-model C schools generally I can probably there's probably a handful of us in my from my generation that I can count generally we, we come from your lower S- LSMs you know yeah. township guys um, that's where football is uh, uh, that's that's probably one of the things that has saved football uh, when you when you look at the success of rugby and cricket and how sort of high profile their athletes mm-hmm. are and the success that they've garnered, the one thing that saves South African football is ease of access. So from a participation point of view, we're still well ahead. Yeah, but certainly not from a success point. So our structures and everything has definitely got to improve. Our grassroots has um, definitely got to improve to maximise that pool of talent. Um, but we've got to be very careful of that. You know, we can't just rest on our laurels. Right? Yeah. Mm. Is that why you, your NPO is, you know, you, you're sort of pushing that so mm. hard to, to make a difference, I suppose, to give back to the game, if I can use a cliche? Yeah, th- I've often said that football reflects society and vice versa because mm. it's so popular. Yeah. And when you look at uh, government, they're certainly not getting things right. Yeah. So when you look at uh, NPOs like Gift of the Givers, for example, they're filling the gap. Yeah. A very necessary gap. And the cracks are widening every day. Everybody realizes this. And when you look at our football industry, the same can be said. You know, there's got a lot of work to be done at SAFA. Let's be honest. Um, They're not getting it right in many, many aspects. There are pockets of excellence. But certainly our football MPO um, is is designed to to target schools football, which has been neglected since 2013. And that's what we're really pushing. It's a decade. Yeah. Just simply trying to give uh, kids, both boys and girls, an opportunity to shine. Yeah. Uh, to, to try and get the enthusiasm back, back in the game. To offer um, facility builds as well, which is a major um, hindrance. Yeah. Um, especially when you look outside of our urban areas, uh, where are kids playing? And um, just to give them boots, kit, uh, a professional style uh, training session and then to make it sustainable as well. There's nothing worse than us going and doing a session and a kid after the session comes up to you and says, coach, uh, when are you coming back? You know, so yeah, it's it's, see, you don't want to, you don't want to go in there and, and then leave and never yeah, to be seen again. Um, yeah. And we've got many, many ex-players who are willing to give back 
which is great. And that, that's what really keeps me going because we've got some great characters in the game. A lot of them were sitting at home uh, and now we've inducted them back into, into the industry, which is good. Um, take me back to where it all began for you football-wise. When did you fall in love? I mean, this, this boy from Fishhook, he's tall at school. Were you tall at school? Yeah. Uh, you, yeah, I mean, that's why I said they were like, oh, there's a lock. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's exactly where I played. Okay. So, yeah. so was, w was there a decision to be made at some point or mm. was it just at school you played everything? So I was just discussing with Ray before we came on the fact that, um, you know, South Africans and Australians generally have always been great athletes. Mm. When you look at the cricket teams, for example, whereas in the nineties, when you look at the English and the Sri Lankans and the Pakistanis, they in the outfield, they were pretty useless. You know? <laughs> and, I, and I put that down to the number of sports that we were able to play and the weather. Okay. Um, and so we, we've always generated holistic athletes. Mm. Um, and so likewise, I was given the opportunity in Fishhook, uh, the primary school. I did all my schooling in Fishhook to play rugby, tennis, table tennis. Um, unfortunately, it didn't offer football, but we had a very good amateur mm. football club, Fishhook AFC, uh, that was established way back in 1930. Um, Are they still going today? Yeah, absolutely. I tell you, it's fantastic. You go down there during the week; it's a, it's a, f it's a fantastic sight to see. Um, I think I should support them. <laughs> I should become a Fishhook FC supporter. <laughs> so they, um, they've been doing some magic work uh, throughout that that valley and the community for the longest time, um, and they've always been quite progressive yeah. in nature as well, even back in the day. Um, so, yeah, um, I played rugby at primary school. Um, because of my height, I, I played lock, and then uh, they realized that I could kick the ball, and then I got moved to fly off. Okay. So with the southeaster <laughs> blowing in Fishhook, uh, I used to kick it from one touchdown yeah. <laughs> to you know across fields. So they were my my forwards were always very grateful to me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I I enjoyed the game. I took it took a little bit of a while to get used to the contact, mm. um, but that definitely helped me going into my football, being a a defender and building a reputation of being a sort of rag rugged, tough, uh, no-nonsense defender, yeah. and then going to sundowns and then developing also a calmness and a touch on the ball um, and a distribution and using both both feet. Um, that that holistic nature and all those sports came came to the fore and and helped me. Yeah. And took you to Russia. Yep. I mean, I'm just looking through here. I mean, Rostov 2002. How did that come about? I mean, because. I see here on Wikipedia, and I don't always go with what's on Wikipedia, but it says there was Wimbledon on loan with no appearances there. And then you're in Russia for a large part of your career. And how, how did that come about? And that must have been an uh, incredible experience. I, um, as soon as I became a pro, uh, I had opportunities to go on trial um, to your more established leagues. I never worked out. Either I had a very poor week uh, either I was, I lacked confidence, you know, it it's didn't make me pressure, feel comfortable, hey? yeah. Um, or I had a great week, but then um, the negotiations between the two clubs uh, failed. For example, West Ham, which is why I'm a supporter of West Ham, because I had a great week there. Harry Redknapp was there, they were selling Rio Ferdinand to, to Leeds. They were keen on me. Unfortunately, Sundowns under Natasha Chiklis asked for too much money. That oh. was probably, in hindsight, that was probably the, my most disappointing moment in my, okay. in my career. I had a great week. Um, and the West Ham are, are well known for their youth development as well. Yeah. So they had a nice setup, very um, 
Joe Cole, Frank Lampard, yeah. you know, you name it. But also Salt of the Earth yeah. Club, you know, uh, East London. So anyway, um, I missed out. And so um, we had a coach called Victor Bondarenko. He came from Rostov. Uh, Rostov at the time was really struggling, bottom of the log. It was 10 games to go in the season. <laughs> and the owner of the club phoned um, Victor. And the owner of the club was was a guy who ran a cigarette factory in Rostov. And he, and he manufactured the worst low-grade <laughs> cigarettes that you could ever find in Russia. But he had made, obviously, like this crap load of, of money and had put, put the money into, um, into the football club. And we uh, expect. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just have this image of you guys sitting <laughs> team photo. Well, no, it, I mean that was one of the culture shocks was that everybody smoked, yeah, and everybody drank, you know, um, and it was a culture that I had to get used to because I spent two very good years there and then four in in Samara uh, with Krylia Sovetov. But at any rate, the the owner. <laughs> asked uh, Victor for players in South Africa. Does he know any players? And Victor sent him myself and the Zambian international gift Kampamba. And as soon as we arrived, we had a instant effect on the team. In fact, with two games left, we were already safe. Oh, wow. um, we didn't lose during that period. We we lost the last game, uh, but we were already safe by then. And the fans and the owner, they were just ecstatic, you know. So we had a, um, an immediate impact. And I stayed a further year. We got, the following year, we got to uh, a Russian Cup final. And for Rostov, this was like Massive. just unheard yeah. of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we played against the great Spartak uh, Moscow in Moscow. Unfortunately, lost 1-0. Um, but that was, uh, we had a great cup run there. And uh, the following year, because of our success, a further five South Africans arrived. Um, so there was quite a large contingent. We'd already had uh, the late, great Jacob Lecheto uh, show us the way at Lokomotiv. Um, and then uh, Macbeth Sibaya stayed a, a whole eight seasons. Uh, he's a legend in, in Rubin, uh, Kazan, playing Champions League as well. Um, so we, we left an indelible mark in, in Russia yeah, and f certainly flew the flag for South Africa. How, how difficult was it? I mean, going from Fishhook, Sundowns, uh, all of a sudden you're in Russia. I, I imagine conditions weren't always uh, favorable for football, mm -hmm. and it was a culture shock. Yeah, um, and I would recommend any youngster to, to do the same, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's Turkey, Russia, Greece, um, you know, the low divisions in, in your more established uh, sort of uh, countries in France, Belgium, Holland. Go go and do it. Even though you might earn more money here in South Africa, I think it's better for your football to go yeah. over. Um, learn a new language, uh, coached by better coaches, rub shoulders with better players, uh, play in a more competitive league, um, get to know the atmosphere and how much the fans are, are more passionate about the game there, especially in your Mediterranean countries. The passion and fierceness of their fans is something to behold. Okay. Um, and to to be injured minus 10 degrees, knowing your teammates don't necessarily like you yet, you haven't contributed to your team, and you're going back to an empty apartment. That's character building. <laughs> yeah, wow. You know, and so 
um, to be able to deal with that, you end up coming back a better product. Okay. And so you, you're not only adding to your character, but you're also adding to the potential of Bafana Bafana. Um, it's adding to your, your pocket because you're becoming a better player. Yeah. Um, you know what's what now. Um, and you'll, if you do learn your lesson, you'll, you'll realize that you've got to start to look after your body beyond time, yeah. you know, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on. And so, yeah, get a chance, go over. Sort of soul searching, but at the end product is a better human being. Yeah, exactly. Um, you, you mentioned Bafana Bafana. Uh, I, and I don't know how many people actually pay attention to this, but you captained South Africa at an Olympic Games, yeah. uh, Sydney 2000. That must have been a special moment for you in your career. Yeah, and it's it's one of the the things that I give credit to Safa because they ultimately they signed off on this long term plan, which they haven't done before. Uh, they haven't done before and they haven't done after, which is a bit confusing because we did have some success. Um, we were the first team under Sheikh Mashaba under twenties to qualify for an intercontinental co- tournament, um, which was the um, African Youth Champs. And then the, then the World Cup and 20s. Um, and that generation of players was phenomenal. Uh, but ultimately, Sassel, um, who really drove the program, but it was signed off by Safa, gave us an opportunity to travel and to remain consistent. Mm. A few tweaks here and there, but over a period of six years, we had the same coach, same core of players. And ultimately, the vision was 2000. Yeah. And that was Sydney Olympics, which we we qualified for, and that was an incredible journey, um, with uh, amazing players: uh, Quinton Fortune, Benny McCarthy, Aaron McQuena, Darren Buckley, you know, uh, Dylan Shepard, Bradley Cornell, David Kanamer, um, Emil Baron. You know that 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 team was just Yeah, and that team was 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 great. Um, so everybody talks about that Brazil encounter in, in <laughs> 2000 when we beat you've them 3-1. Yeah. Yeah, you just took my next question, <laughs> but please carry on. Um, with the, the great Ronaldinho yeah. uh, at the four. And um, I think David Kahneman still has him in his pocket <laughs> to this day. <laughs> but it's, it's one of the games that we always get reminded of. So, so fans will always talk about the 96 squad mm. and then the 2000 squad. And that, that, that in itself is quite disappointing. Because that's all such a long time ago, Absolutely. and those are the two generations of players that they still talk about. Yeah. And that's why we still get 20,000 people coming to watch us in Cabronia. That's why there's a demand for us still. Yeah. But they shouldn't be. Yes. They shouldn't be. Uh, they should have been generations post making their own mark. And so, again, that's another warning sign that we have to be very mindful of it. 2010 World Cup, obviously, I mean, if we could bottle <coughs> that feeling in the country, I think we'd all be happy campers. Mm. Um, even though you didn't uh, feature as much as you would have liked, and I know 2002 you missed out because of a knee injury, mm. but that feeling of being part of a World Cup on, on home soil, I suppose you'll take that to your grave one day. Yeah, Yeah, and then the the... Sort of mini tournament a year before Confederations Confederation yeah, Cup. Exactly, and, yeah. uh, played all five games, and that w- that for me was most important because as a as an athlete you always want to be tested against the greats. So in that tournament we played against uh, number one and number two ranked teams in the world, Brazil and Spain at the time, and so to be able to play against them, uh, just ab- w- you were able to gauge where yeah. you stood, you know. Um, and so that for that 
for that reason, that is that is probably my highlight yeah. of of my career. Um, and then what came after that as well, um, this massive spotlight that was put on myself and my family, and um, leading up to to 2010, and having to deal with all of that, yeah. and and manage with the demands uh, leading up to that, and then putting up with the disappointment of not being able to play, not giving an opportunity to play because of the coaching change. Um, and then after 2010, simply not being told, nothing was communicated with regards to my future to the national team. Um, that was that was disappointing. Yeah. Uh, but, but, you, but to be part of that World Cup build-up was just phenomenal. Um, you know, to have 200,000 people come out to the streets of Santon to, to wish us well, um, to see grown men run out against uh, Mexico for the warm-up and be in tears, you know, um, to be part of that build-up, even though it was on the bench, to that goal, that famous goal. Yeah, wow. Uh, was Give me goosebumps yeah, just thinking about it. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, those are memories which, you know, nobody can take those away from you and you will always, always remember them. Um, so yeah, great, great time. And um, again, you know, I think we can be feel very, very proud about how we hosted yeah. uh, that World Cup, despite being the host team being knocked out early. Uh, we as South Africans did a phenomenal job. Yeah, no, we really did. Yeah. I just remember how cold it was that time of year. <laughs> Did you feel that on the park? You know, like, because I think it was Ellis Park and I was covering a game. It was Brazil, North Korea, believe it or not. Um, mm. And it was the coldest I think I've ever felt, apart from the time that I brought a kid's sleeping bag to a camp out in the middle mm. of winter and I was half exposed. But that's a story for another day. <laughs> but that World Cup for me just like brought us all together as, as South Africans. Like, it was. When people ask me what the feeling was like, it was incredible. Now you're talking about 200,000 people. Mm. I actually forgot. That's how many people came out to see. Yeah. Um, but I think at that point, for me, it just was like, oh, there's potential. There's, we can get this right, but we just haven't been able to kick on. And you look where Bafana Bafana are now. Yes, AFCON is around the corner. But when it comes to qualifying for World Cups, it's still like question marks. You know, yeah. I, I kind of feel... By now, we should be in a position where it's not when uh, we yes. qualify, it's how far we go. I yeah. mean, Banyana have done incredibly well. So why can't the men get it right? Um, Banyana has gotten it right because, because of the lack of resources that okay. they've received. And they're a resilient bunch. Yeah. So, like flies to a turd, <laughs> money attracts... Uh, bad people okay um so believe in me as soon as money gets put into the woman's game they're going to have exactly the same issues that the men have okay so when you approach a world cup or an afcon now the stakes have risen now there's money to be made by agents officials etc so now the the processes are skewed they are corrupted because of the want for money Okay. because of the one to make money and so the women's game have gotten away with that and they've had the success that yeah. they've had but as soon as you start throwing money at the at, at the game the women's game believe you me it's going to be corrupted um, because at the moment we don't have um, 
a leadership that can come away with a clean audit or you know uh, be transparent. Well, I think we can all agree that that's the case. It's not the most transparent organization. Um, corporates are most likely at the moment reluctant to 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 um, to sponsor, um, and that's that's a, a big shame. And we've got to change that, and yeah. we can change it. Yeah, uh, we can change it with the leadership. You know, leadership changes, and that doesn't necessarily mean that an ex-footballer has to be in charge. No, sure. I think we have to be rather business-minded uh, about this whole process. In fact, any of our SOEs or whatever organisation that you church group, we've got to start to become more business-minded and, and know what's best for the organisation. So that kind of uh, catered deployment, uh, bond Freemasons type mentality of leadership where you come into power and you s immediately surround yourselves with incompetence, that's, that's got to change. Yeah. Uh, because I feel that that's what the problem, the major, major problem with society is, is our leadership. And so, um, with regards to our, our woman, I think that's that's been the case. Uh, so we also just have to be mindful of that. Yeah. And that that trickle down effect is now affecting our lowest forms of organisations all across society. Yeah. And even amateur football clubs, you know, uh, where you get this little dictator coming into getting into power and then surrounding himself with incompetence. Uh, it's, it doesn't do any any favors for your for your organization. Um, uh, but ex-footballers are going to have an important role to play. Certainly, I mean, um, the success that a guy like Lucas Khadebe yeah. has had, um, he needs to be involved. In what form? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but he's had success. Players uh, would look up to him. He will be an inspiration, being a, in and around the players, um, and. They've ex players have got to be incorporated back into the organization, yeah. and we, more importantly, have got to educate ourselves and get ready, uh, get get ourselves ready for those opportunities. Yeah. We can't just carry on blaming clubs and associations for not looking after us. You know, we've got to be proactive. Mm. It's interesting because you know we we've seen the news around Lucas and and mm. what's potentially happening, but it's so important what you say. I think that intellectual property that experience that sort of respect that you guys have commanded because you've earned your stripes um like there seems to be that disconnect it needs to be plugged in and we all should be on the same team here yeah. trying to uplift south african football from the under 17s you know at a national level through to grassroots and and up because mm. south africa should be a powerhouse of africa mm. it's non-negotiable we should be considering the resources at our disposal yeah, yeah absolutely i think we have the ability to be in the top three in africa and we should be in the top 30 in the world on a regular basis yeah. uh, football from a participation point of view is still by far the number one sport yeah. uh, mostly because of ease of access um, uh, we have fans who i'm still on the fence as to whether they're actually passionate about our game or not um when you look at um, countries on the Mediterranean countries and kind of countries like Nigeria, would those fans have put up with this kind of uh, uh, disappointment for so long? I don't think so. Yeah. You know. Um, and that's a club and national level. Yeah. Um, but I think that's also a historical thing. You know, we don't have the same history as sort of South America and Europe has. So we've we've done bloody well despite that, yeah. you know, to be where we are. I mean, you just look at the PSL and kind of the, uh, 
the the wealth that surrounds the PSL and uh, how professional it is. Uh, we've done very well in that regard in the space of what thirty years. You yeah, know? that's something to be proud of. So again, there are isolated pockets of of excellence. When I travel around the country, uh, when you just look at one particular region, forget about the rest, like the northern KZN area. It's when you look at football, both uh, boys and girls, the amount of talent they yeah. see us is unbelievable. Yeah. And we've got to start to tap into that, and we've centralized our game. Yeah, everything is in Johannesburg, you know, uh, to a certain extent, Cape Town as well. But we we can't afford to. We've got to decentralize our game. We've got to um, offer centers of excellence all around the country so that we can capture the talent. Yeah, maximize our pool of talent so that when Hugo Bruce looks at his right back, he's not just looking at Kulisi Modau. Yeah, there's three or four Mudaus waiting in the wings. Knocking on the door. Yeah. yeah. When, you look at our, uh, when, you, when you look at our rugby team, <laughs> our cricket team, the competition that's involved in all areas, that's maximizing our pool yeah. talent. And we, we, as a football industry, we certainly haven't done that. And you made a very good point because if you look at uh, rugby and cricket, and I'm a firm believer that due to our incredible school systems mm. and the talent we produce <coughs> there and opportunities afforded to those kids, that's why we have four locks knocking on the door at Craven Week. Yeah. Uh, same with cricket and football. That's where they've dropped the ball, if you'll excuse the pun. Without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, as a rugby player, a young rugby player, you've got a clear vision. Absolutely. And uh, you've got a clear ladder to success. There's no rungs that are missing there. No. You know? um, so if you want it, you, you know how to get it. Whereas in uh, with football, if you're a kid from Nelspreit uh, or uh, you know Kuruman, uh, is there a clear ladder to success? You know, what are the processes to follow? Who do you go to? You know, what opportunities are you given there? Yeah. And so we're losing a lot of uh, kids uh, because of that lack of opportunity, yeah. and and. Yeah, a lot of a lot of people also say, "Where are all the white kids?" Uh, I'll, and I'm, I respond with them by saying, "We're not only losing white kids; we're losing kids of all color." Yeah, it's just that your kids from your lower LSMs have fewer opportunities. Therefore, they will continue to be hungry about the game. Yeah. Whereas kids that are come from middle class and upper class backgrounds, they've got more options. So. If training gets too hard, if the referee doesn't turn up, if they have a, have to travel in into an area which they perceive to be perhaps dangerous, or if the league is not run properly, if there's age cheating, they're going to push off and do something else. Tennis, you golf, know, exactly. rugby, cricket, whatever it may be. Yeah. Sit at home picking their nose playing PlayStation, you know. <laughs> um, there's... <laughs> you know, so we, we're, losing, we're losing kids in that manner, which... I don't think as an industry we can afford to because we're a it's a global game it's a game that extends across all uh, classes and we should be offering it and and encouraging all kids you know to to take yeah. part matthew i just want to shift uh, the conversation a little bit in your career you've played against and with incredibly talented players mm -hmm. is there someone who, who sort of stands out that you played with or against that you were like oh my goodness that is the level that is the standard and someone who maybe inspired you yeah he um this particular player didn't inspire me he destroyed me <laughs> um and 
putting yeah. you on the spot, yeah, of yeah. course. <laughs> but he, so in, I spoke about the, the World Youth Champs uh, World Cup under 20, um, and we played out, we played in 1997 in our group was Brazil, France, and South Korea. Wow. And that French team, they started with uh, David Trezeguet, <laughs> okay. uh, Thierry Henry. Uh, I've heard of him. Yeah. Yeah, he's pretty good. And on the bench was, was uh, one <laughs> Nicolas Anelka. <laughs> okay. So to come up against that pair yeah. uh, was quite quite a uh, terrible occurrence. And I didn't have my best game. I wasn't on my – I was a bit flat. It was our last game in a group. And we ended up losing 4-2. And I had an horrendous time against the two of them. Um, so, yeah, probably the most difficult uh, game or experience that I had was against Thierry Henry. Um, and then the good thing is, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, mm. he's done it to a lot of defenders. So <laughs> you're, not, you're not the only one. <laughs> but it's funny how I, I wish that, you know, again, you, we refer back to South African development. We, we late developers, we, we late starters. And that's so frustrating so, because at the age of 18, 19, I shouldn't have been uh, at that stage. Yeah. I, I should have been at least two or three years on and I would have been able to have coped with, with that pressure a yeah. lot better. Um, I mean, you just have to look at Teko Modice, you know, at the age of 25, 26, making his PSL debut. Yeah. You know, and unfortunately, crazy. that's due to our, our lack of grassroots development yeah. and opportunities. So um, another local player who I always had to be on my toes with uh, was uh, Daniel Motao and Siobhan Vete. So any any striker that was low center of gravity, shorter, quicker, um, I didn't fancy playing against yeah. them. I preferred the sort of rough and tumble and the physicality of playing against Apollon Lania, the late uh, Mark Batchelor, um, you know, Leslie Maniatella, those types of strikers. Well, elbow here and there. Yeah, and that, that <laughs> battle and the, the, the back and forth. Um, so, and again, with experience, I had to learn. Yeah. Um, that when coming up against speedier strikers, you had to give them a bit more space. You have to understand, having played against them before, how quick they are, um, whether to allow them to, to rather drop off and, and get the ball to feet and face you and run at you, or to, to, to know who to, to, to make sure that you, you kicked. Yeah. The first contact that you had, you, you go through them, yeah. and you know that they're going to go across to the other side of the field and stay well away from you. you know? <laughs> So those are little things that you picked up yeah. um, as you as you and and with experience I got better and better, more confident, uh, better with my distribution, uh, my calmness, being able to use both feet, um, and probably at my my peak was in Russia at the age of 31, 32. But that's not good enough. Yeah, you know it's too late. Um, you know, everybody knows uh, when you when you hit 30, what happens, the perceptions. Yeah. With goalkeepers and centre backs, uh, it's starting to change a little bit now. Uh, yeah, Tiago, 39. Exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah quality. Um, where did the boo <laughs> thing start? Do you, do you have a clear, and vivid memory of when exactly that first happened? Because even then, it's like, why are they booing him? But it, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's not. The understanding of the game, you get to realize that it's actually a huge, huge uh, sort of sign of respect. So uh, during our, our games leading up to the, the qualifiers for the Olympics, we made a very good choice in going to Fosler Rus, 
and that was our graveyard. Uh, that's where we murdered teams. Okay. And and um, during the qualifiers, pre pre qualifiers and qualifying games, that's where the Fossil Rose crowd from the East Rand started to shout booth. Okay. Um, local fans of the game will will also recognize that before I came along, um, fans used to do it to the late John Shoes Moshreo, Mark Fish, Lucas uh, Rue Khadebe. Uh, so there are a number of other players who, who had that honor. So I think I was just lucky to have a nice surname to say. <laughs> <laughs> Rolled off the tongue. Yeah. Yeah, as, um, we've got a few more minutes and then I'm going to let you go. I know you've got to get to uh, golf. Yeah, important. Golf obviously <laughs> plays a huge part of your life these days. Um, how are you enjoying you know, getting off the tee and what are you playing off these days? Um, I've been going through a bit of a bad, bad patch. I'm at 12.4 at the moment. Um, so my best golf was when I was about a 10. Um, but I just I enjoy the game. I'm not going to become a professional here, so I enjoy the the luxury and the yeah. greenness. You know that everything's been laid out for you. I enjoy the company, the ability to network. Um, to also, it's very true. So it's, it's a cliche, but it's a very tr true um, fact that when you play with somebody, you want to do business with them or just become friends with them. Your true character comes out yeah. in playing the game and how honest you are or not. <laughs> um, Obviously, you're very honest. <laughs> but yeah, I love I love the game. Uh, it can be very frustrating. So yeah. it's a test to your test of your character. I can imagine every single shot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the patience to. I'm a terrible golfer, but I I appreciate being out in the greenery. You know, the, the, that smell of the, the the freshly cut grass, the manicured greens. You know, we've got some incredible courses yeah. around South Africa. Um, and I imagine for you it's, it's an escape, right? I mean, there's a lot of noise everywhere, but it's an escape. Being able to just be in my time, be present with my thoughts. Yes, exactly. It's um, it's five hours, or depending on how bad you are, <laughs> perhaps longer. That's no, longer for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's an opportunity to, to get out, yeah. uh, to get out of your bubble, whatever cocoon you've made for yourself. Um, and um, yeah, to uh, you're right. Uh, we blessed with regards golf courses in South Africa, considering the water issues. I'm always surprised at how many we still have, and yeah. the, the the variety. Um, and it's a great um, source of uh, income for the country as well with regards to tourism. Uh, we've got some great events going on. Um, so I try and take part from a charity point of view as well. I get we get a lot of invites. Yeah. Um, so it's a good way of raising money still these days. Um, and so I play as much as I, I can. That's terrible. Eh? Someone's got to do it. Yes. <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, I say that in jest, obviously, mm. but, but I think the tremendous work that you do for charities, mm. making yourself available, your NPO, you're an incredible ambassador for the game and for the legends, and, and I wish you all the best. Just to sign off, what's next for Matthew Booth? What does 2024 hold and what are some of the boxes you want to tick in 2024? Yeah, I want to um, really, um, you know, I've since 2009, I've been kind of running the MPO out of my own pocket. Um, and now I've got enough to go to corporates uh, without cap in hand and say, listen, this is what we want. Mm. And so I want to really impress on, on what sport can do for kids. Uh, it goes hand in hand with education. And we want to try and get um, schools uh, football back up and running, even if it's just um, coaching clinics to start off with, 
giving them the basics and uh, trying to get them enthusiastic about the game um, and more importantly get ex-players inducted back into the industry and uh, using their 15 and 20 years experience uh, to give back to the communities that have given us uh, so much. Where can people find out more? Yeah, so um, the SAFL, uh, South African Football Legends uh, website is up and running. Um, Booth Africa as well, uh, Booth Education and Sports Africa. Uh, you can find them, all our information online. Uh, we're on all the social media platforms as well. Only two O's, eh? Only two Z's. That's two right, O's, yeah. two O's. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew, thank you so much for your time, man. Uh, you're uh, you're such a rock star. I uh, love your work and keep up uh, the great, amazing work behind the scenes because we need more legends like you to uh, uplift this sport we love so much. Cheers, yes, appreciate it. Take it easy.